Good morning. We're going to continue our study in First John, but uh, first let me ask you a question. Do you ever have it when you're going online and that uh, an ad pops up, which is just the thing you wanted to buy? If so, you've been a victim of something called profiling. Profiling. Profiling uh, is sometimes regarded by, uh, by us today as a, as a bad word, um, but it's a powerful tool, which is why uh, people do it. We, we call it a bad word uh, when it's used with a term like racial profiling, uh, because it means you're assuming you know how a person will behave based on his race, which is not true and it's not fair to a person. But uh, what happens in uh, the kind of profiling that helps people know what you're going to buy next, uh, that's more of a, what we would call the, a shopping profiling. And that's uh, as you go on, online and you purchase certain things, whether you like it or not, that's being tracked. And uh, as, as we're, no, we don't do that. Howard assures me we don't do that. We don't do that. But... Uh, as you buy things, they start painting your profile. A profile means the way you look, right? If I look this way, you can kind of see my profile. It's a general outline of the kind of person that I am. And uh, they can guess what you will buy next based on the things that you have bought. And that's worth a lot of money because people spend billions of dollars buying online. So if you can profile people and you can guess what they're going to buy next and you can make that ad pop up just in the right time as they're going to make that decision, that improves the likelihood they'll buy your product and it makes you money. Now, we'll be looking today at profiling being done in, in the Bible. and The value of profiling is that it helps you predict the future. And uh, we don't often like being profiled but there's an advantage to us, if we're willing to let the Bible profile us, it will take, tell us something about our future. So don't, don't uh, turn down the radio, so to speak, keep the volume on high as we go through the passage, because of its ability of predicting your future as we look at it. So First John, we'll start reading uh, chapter 2. We'll just start, a, we'll read a few verses at a time, because there's a lot of material in this, in this passage. We don't want to miss it. So, First John chapter 2, verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Um, let's start at the beginning. Now by this we know that we know him. Note it, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that by this we know God. It doesn't say this is how you come to know God. It says this is how you know that you know God. That's what we mean by profiling. This is how we can tell whether we are really people who know God. It's not how we come to know him. Now, how do we know that we know God? 
it says very clearly, if we keep his commandments. Now, if we were to use a shopping illustration, there's a little phrase I heard in a, in a, a children musical. Some of you here may know Patch the Pirate. Uh, I think Majesty Music is what they're called. And uh, somebody got it for... Actually, my wife used to listen to it as a child when, you know, this was a long time ago. And uh, not very long. She's not here, so I didn't get in trouble. But, uh, you know, I, I, at first I didn't think much of it, but I listened, and they really have a, good, a lot of good biblical points that they make in it, and a lot of nice music, so I highly recommend it, at least if you have kids. And uh, there's a phrase there that says... Just two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. And uh, I, I think it has the same picture here as shopping. And uh, whenever you go on in life, you'll encounter choices. And in your choices, it's as if you've come to the, to the uh, shelf in the shopping store and you're going to make a purchase decision. And you'll either choose to please God... Right? You're going to purchase the Please God product, or you're going to choose to please yourself. You're going to purchase the Please Yourself product. And as you're doing it, you're profiling yourself. You're showing what kind of a person you are. Now, we talked about it last time, how John is writing here a series of tests, by, called by some the tests of life, to show whether you really have eternal life. And as you're making these choices, am I going to please God, or please myself, I'm profiling myself. And you will show, if you're, if you're consistently picking the please God, it shows that you know God. If you're consistently picking to please myself, I'm showing that I do not know God. Right? That's what this passage says. Now, we, we immediately, and I know for me uh, too, you know, we start throwing objections you know, when we hear some, something like that. And our objection might be something along the line, well, you know, the Bible says that we're saved by faith, not by works, right? <clears throat> and that's good. Uh, in fact, we can, we can read that in Ephesians chapter 2, starting verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. There it is, black and white. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. It's a gift. God gives us his salvation for free, for gift. But listen to this. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So that kind of keeps along with that. We're not saved by works. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand <coughs> that we should walk in them. So I'm not saved by good works, but I am saved for good works, meaning there should be a change in my life and now I should be practicing good works as a result of my salvation. It says we are his workmanship. I think of it as an art project. God is going to build something, a workmanship. My daughter is an artist and you know, she'll spend time and she'll draw something and it looks very nice. I'll spend time and I draw something and it doesn't look so nice. But God is an artist and you know what? He picked you as his art project. And he wants to make you just like his son, the Lord Jesus. And he keeps working on you and he makes you into this wonderful person that he wants you to do. It's his work. That's what it means by saying we are his workmanship. Now, if you're like me, uh, you might uh, say, well, wait a second. 
I don't always pick to please God. Right? We're still, we're still sinners even after we are saved. In fact, John said this earlier in his epistle. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So it's not that I don't have any sin, but God is working in my life and he's changing me. And I, I can see me before I was saved and after I was saved, and there's a pretty clear distinction. Before I was saved, I had no desire at all to do the will of God. Now, you know, maybe I desired people to think highly of me, so I may have behaved in a way that could be consistent with the Word of God, simply to get, you know, people to, to approve of what I was doing, but it wasn't out of any desire to actually please God. And that changed. When I was saved, I, I got a real desire to please God. And the Bible calls that the new nature. God puts a new nature in us when we're saved. We really desire to please Him. Uh, before I was saved, I wasn't convicted that what I did was wrong. Now, I didn't like being caught. I didn't want people to catch me doing something that would be incriminating and get me in trouble. But it wasn't a true conviction of sin, realizing that what I did was really wrong and wanting to repent of it. Okay, that's the work of God. God is working in us. And so if you're a believer, what you find is, you know, you're leaning toward a particular product. It doesn't mean you'll never choose to please yourself. But you now have in you something that's leading you to pick the other item, which is to please God. And that's the profiling. It shows, as you're choosing to please God, it's, it shows. This is, it's not what saves you, but if you're doing it in a consistent way, it simply profiles you and it shows that you really are a child of God. You really have eternal life in you. Now, it says, uh, he who says, I know him and does not keep his commandment, is a liar and the truth is not in him. So that's a risk. You know, we could deceive ourselves and think that we have eternal life because of some profession we made as a child or, or for any number of reasons. I have a, a sister-in-law that made, you know, prayed a prayer when she was young. But you can tell by her life now, and she would probably admit it, that she's not a child of God because she's not choosing to please God. She's not interested in what God wants her to do. She just wants to do what she wants to do all the time. Now, you know, we were all like that. Okay, none of us here is better than anybody else. But the result of eternal life being in you, of God saving you, is you're different now. You're interested in item A instead of item B on your shopping cart. Okay. Um, then we have the, the corollary of that. But whoever keeps his word... Truly, the love of God is perfected in him. So the opposite is true. If you keep his word, it shows that you have eternal life. But he talks about the love of God being perfected in you. And I, I was thinking about what that means. Uh, I have here a, a, a picture of me and my son. Now, now I love my son, Joy. I, I, I think I'm saying it like every week here, don't I? Sounds like a broken record. <coughs> but... Uh, he doesn't always enjoy my love. I don't always enjoy my love as much as I should. Uh, and that depends on really how he acts. You know, if, if, he, if he's acting in a way that's consistent with me, with my desire for him, we really enjoy one another's company. We're really enjoying this love that we have with each other. But if he is choosing to do something I don't like or approve on, it's not that I don't love him anymore. It's not that he doesn't love me, but we're not enjoying that love anymore. Right? Something has come in between. 
And that's what he talks about in uh, John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, Jesus is speaking here, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. It's possible for a Christian to choose to please themselves instead of pleasing God, to be breaking God's commandment. But you know what? A Christian can never be happy doing that. Right? Our joy is tied to our fellowship with him. Our fellowship with him depends on our keeping his commandments. And so it's not surprising that as a Christian, I'm leaning toward pleasing God because that's really how I am happy. I'm, I'm the happiest when I'm walking God's will, when I'm obeying God. We sing often, and we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the love he bestows, or the other way around, the love that he shows and the favor he bestows are for those who will trust and obey. So we enjoy God's love when we're walking consistently with his will. The next... Uh, condition we have here, it says, by this we know that we are in him, he who says he abides in him, ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. I have here uh, another picture, that of a tree. Uh, some of you know that as soon as I bought my house, I planted trees. Not any trees, but fruit trees, because I really feel that the land I own ought to produce something that I enjoy. <laughs> so, you know, I planted uh, an apple tree, and actually I planted what they call a fruit salad. A fruit salad is an apple tree that has multiple kinds of apples in it, because I figured I like variety, but I just have one. And that wasn't good enough. Eliani came to uh, Sharon and me earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, and said that um, she has this, uh, I don't know what you call it, saplings? There's uh, pieces of a tree, that apple tree, that have other kinds of of uh, apples in them, and she offered to graft them into my tree. And that's what you see in that picture over there. Sorry, that's what you saw in that picture over there. <coughs> there's uh, little black things. If you see those, are uh, hard to see, like right over here, for example. There's another couple over there. Those are actual grafts. So what she does, she's able to take uh, these saplings or pieces from another fruit tree, and she can graft them into my tree and, and the branches become connected and they start producing fruit of a different kind, a different kind of apple, right? So it still has to be an apple tree. Now, uh, what I no want you to notice is that the graft's leaves look a lot like the tree leaves, right? They have to, the, the uh, grafts have to produce something that's similar to the tree uh, that comes out of them. And we're like that when we're saved. Right? So, when we uh, talk about people being separated from God, we talk about the fact there is no relationship between them and God. When we receive eternal life, we're grafted back into God. We're connected to God. Again, our relationship with him is destroyed. That's what eternal life really means. Jesus said, this is eternal life that you may know 
God or him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's what eternal life is. It is a relationship with God. We're put together with him. Jesus said this, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. It's a verse we often apply toward bearing fruit in the Christian life. But it also applies to the fact that we are plugged into God when we're saved, and the natural result of that should be is we should be producing God-likeness. If you looked at, at these uh, grafts, they're producing something similar to what the tree has in it. It's the same juices that flow from the trunk into the, into the, uh, the grafted part, and that allows it, that's what allows it to really produce fruit. In the same way, we're plugged into God when we're saved, and the result should be the life of God coming out of us, meaning we should be like God. And that's what he means when he says, he who abides in him ought himself also to walk, just as he walked. If we have eternal life, we will resemble God, which is why, again, we're going to choose to please God instead of seeking to please ourselves all the time. Okay, let's continue reading. So if you, if you stayed in First John, you're doing good, because we're going to pick up in uh, verse 7. So First John 2 and verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So now John is going to bring a real illustration. So up to now, we were talking in general about doing the will of God instead of doing what we may naturally want to do in the flesh. Well, now he's going to bring us to what is perhaps the central, central commandment in the scripture other than one. So what, can anybody tell me what the greatest commandment is? All right, love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. Now, when Jesus was asked the question, which is the greatest commandment, he attached another commandment to that. As if, as if he wasn't distinguishing between the importance of the two. Right, love, love your neighbor as yourself, right? So loving others. And that's what John is going to bring us to. And in fact, John brings it to us repeatedly through this epistle. We're not going to move away from this command to love one another. That's really was on John's heart. It's in fact a manifestation of the fact we love God, as we will see here. So John uh, starts by saying, I write no new commandment to you. Right? But an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning, right? Because they've received it. This is not the first time John is telling them, by the way, you guys should love one another. Right? I mean, that's the principal command that, that was always there, that's always brought uh, before them. But then he says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away 
and the true light is already shining. Why does he say, first of all, that it's not a new commandment, and then he says it is a new commandment? So here's one suggestion. Jesus calls it the new commandment. All right, so this is John 13, 34 through 35. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So Jesus called this the new commandment. And uh, also, it's, there's something new about it, which is suggested uh, as John goes on in this same verse. He says, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. What this is telling me is that this world is in darkness. Because we are every day practicing selfishness. We're each living for ourselves, not picking on anybody here in particular. But this is the general condition of this world. This is darkness in the eyes of God. And then Jesus came into this world and he brought in this revolution. I'm not going to be seeking my own things. I'm going to seek yours. Instead of him living for himself, he comes here and he dies for all of us. He puts all of us ahead of him in his priority. And then he comes and he tells his disciples, the same way I loved you, I want you to now go out and love one another. We're supposed to continue this revolution of light in the world, of people that put others higher and better than themselves. Right? That's the new thing. It's the new light, the true light that is already shining. It came, it was revealed by the Lord Jesus, but his desire is that it will be propagated and revealed through us, through the church. By this will people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now what about a person who doesn't love his brother and sister in Christ? He doesn't care about them. Well, what John says, this person is still in darkness. There's no way Jesus came into this world to reveal the light and he, he's, he gave you this command so that you can continue and reveal the light of loving others instead of loving in yourself. And here you are, you don't love others, and you tell me you're in the light. It's impossible. You're in darkness. Right? So again, that's the main command as far as revealing that, um, that we love God and we choose to do the things that please God. We choose to have love for one another. Now, again, the corollary here is that he who loves his brother shows that he, is, that he is in the light, but he adds something. He says, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. I don't know about you, but uh, I can walk in my Christian life and enjoy fellowship with God, and then I stumble. <laughs> and I'm not enjoying my fellowship with him anymore. And I'm out for a spin. And it takes a while sometimes before the Lord gets me up, and I'm once again... You know, enjoying walking uh, with the Lord. Well, the, in this passage, we have the key for that. We have the key to not stumble. It's to think of others. Right? Whenever I stumble, it's because I'm thinking of myself. But if I'm thinking of others instead, and how can I help others? I'm exercising love for others instead of <laughs> love for self. That's what keeps me from stumbling. Every time I think of myself, I'm going to stumble. I can almost guarantee it. 
But as long as I'm thinking of others and how can I be a blessing to others, I can walk in fellowship with God and enjoy God. Let's uh, pick up in verse 12. John says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, I like studying the word of God. And uh, I have opportunities, as you can tell, to teach about the word of God. And uh, when I do teach about the Word of God, and I come to a passage I don't understand, I go out to the shelf and I pull out a commentary. And I read what somebody else said about it. And if I'm not satisfied with what they said, I'll, I'll pick another commentary. Now, these days I don't have to go to the shelf because I have it all on a computer program, so I can kind of just click to the next person's commentary on the passage. And uh, this is one of those passages that commentators will just not agree on. <laughs> and uh, it, it shows that uh, it's a difficult passage, and uh, it's not, you know, to, to get everything John has in it, uh, the, you know, may be difficult, but there's two things that are very clear here. And the first one is that John is writing to everybody in the church. Right? Sometimes, you know, there'll be a sermon and we'll say, well, you know, I, I hear what Noad is saying, but it's not really directed at me. All right? I know he's speaking to somebody else here. And, uh, and what John is doing is he's making sure nobody feels that way about this letter. Right? He says, I write to you children, and I write to you young men, uh, and I'm not going to point, but I write to you fathers. Right? He's, he's writing to everybody in the Christian church. Little children would be new believers. So it's not necessarily talking about your chronological age. It really talks about your maturity in the Lord. New believers would be little children. Fathers would be mature believers. And uh, young men would be perhaps uh, believers with some maturity and they're able to, to exercise the Christian life with power. So that's one thing. Clearly John is writing to everybody. You know, don't, don't, don't take yourself out of the boat. You're in the boat. Uh, the other is he's basing what he's saying upon the blessings that they have already received from God, right? So every, each, each one can realize the blessing God has for them. Little children uh, know at least a couple of things. Uh, they know their sins have been forgiven them. So if you're a child, a, a, a child of God, the very first thing you learn about is that God has forgiven your sins because Jesus has paid for them on the cross. Right? I mean, that's that's elementary. Without that, you're not entering eternal life. Right? You understand what he did for you. Uh, the other thing is, is you have this new loving relationship with God that you've never experienced before. It says in Romans that um, you know, the Spirit testifies with our spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies with our children that we are the children of God. In Galatians, it says he cries out, Abba, Father. Gives in our heart this, this, uh, 
recognition that God is our Father. Right? So even, even newborn believers know that God loves them and he has blessed them. Uh, fathers here have the blessing of, of knowing God. And I think what it, it's talking about is the fact as, as being a believer for a long time, you come to know him better and better and better. And you know what? As you get to know Jesus better and better and better, he becomes more and more wonderful, doesn't he? Right, so that's, that's the blessing of the fathers among us. Been around for a long time. Uh, and then young men, it says that they have overcome the wicked one. They are strong. The word of God abides in them. And that talks about discovering your, your victory over sin. As a, a believer that has achieved some maturity, you find that through the word of God, you can really gain victory and you can enjoy the fellowship of God and you can do great things for God. Again, it's a blessing that comes from God. God gives us that blessing. And so, our love to God and our picking item A instead of item B in our shopping cart, choosing to please God, really comes because of the blessing of God in my life. Because of how much God has loved me, I now love Him. And because of that, I desire to please Him. So none of this is required from us as God extracting us in pain, obedience to Him. It all should be out of love. As we come to realize how much God loves us and blessed us, that's what gives us a desire to, to serve God and please him too. Okay, the last passage we have here is uh, in verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So, I may have another picture here, and uh, that's my uh, personal, you know, weakness, if you would. Uh, I tend to like gadgets, electronic gadgets. And, uh, you know, I bought, uh, you know, I've, I've always tried to resist it because, you know, I realize it's a temptation that I have. And so for a long time, I resisted getting a cell phone, okay? And then after getting a cell phone, for a long time, I resisted getting a smartphone. But, uh, you know, it's hard for me to keep my eyes off as these things pop up uh, in the stores and there's something new out there to desire. Now, that's just me. Everybody has their own weakness, something that the world offers uh, that is attractive to them. Now, this, is, it, this doesn't say that what the world offers is not attractive to us. If what the world offers isn't attractive to us, the world wouldn't be offering it. What this passage is saying, uh, in not loving the world, and if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him, in him, is we don't ultimately choose the things of the world. The world has an attraction to us, but we have something of an even greater Attraction. Now, it helps me when I think about why is it that the, why is it that the world attracts us? And what is, what, are we, what is it that we're talking about when we're talking about the world? I realize it could be confusing. Let me step back. When we're saying do not love the world, it doesn't mean don't love the planet Earth. It doesn't mean don't love the people who live here because God loves the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What it means is that there's this thing called the world system that is tempting us and attracting us 
to choose not to do the will of God, but to choose to, to do something else in order to get whatever it is that it's offering to us. And that really goes back again all the way to the Garden of Eve. In the Garden of Eve, uh, God had two choices for Adam and Eve. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, uh, and there was all the other trees in the garden. God had plenty of other choices of what people could do and enjoy doing. Now, Satan, in the form of the serpent, tempted mankind to take the tree that God said not to eat of. And in it, Satan was telling to mankind that you don't need God to keep you happy. If you take of this fruit, if you take this, you will have what will make you happy. And, and Adam and Eve took the plunge, and they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they became separated from God. And if you remember in the Bible, God then uh, started laying out curses. Now, not curses like you and me do. You know, he does, wasn't calling anybody a bad name. But he was saying bad things were going to happen to them. The woman was going to suffer in childbearing. Uh, the man was going to suffer in having to you know, work hard to provide for his family. And the ground, the earth, was going to start springing forth thorns that was going to make everybody's life miserable. Why was God doing it? He was doing it to turn Adam and Eve back to him, to realize that the choice they have made was a foolish choice to try to live without him. He was their true source of joy, and they needed to go back to him. What does Satan do? Satan creates this world system, and this is Satan in combination with fallen mankind. And we're doing everything we can to make us happy in this world without God. And that's what, you know, all these things that this world is offering us about, about making us happy here without God. Now, these things may not be bad in themselves, but to the extent that they cause us to seek something other than God, that is when they are bad. And uh, it says here, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I may enjoy getting the iPhone 6 until the iPhone 7 comes out. You know, I may enjoy, you know, taking a bite of that, you know, chocolate bar. But that joy only lasts for a minute. And if I want to be happy, I need to take another bite and another bite. What the world provides us is not lasting joy. What God is offering us is eternal joy, eternal life in him. Jesus uh, met a woman once and... Uh, he asked her for water. The woman said, how is it that you being a Jew ask water of me, a Samaritan woman? And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And uh, the woman asks a little bit more about it. And he says this, whoever drinks... Of this water, what this world offers will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let me close by reading the song we're going to sing next. It's called, If I Gained the world, but lost the Savior. If I gained the world, but lost the Savior, 
Were my life worth living for a day? Could my yearning heart find rest and comfort in the things that soon must pass away? If I gained the world but lost the Savior, would my gain be worth the lifelong strife? Are all earthly pleasures worth comparing for a moment with a Christ-filled life? Had I wealth and love in fullest measure, and a name revered both far and near, yet no hope beyond, no harbor waiting, where my storm-tossed vessel I could steer, if I gained the world but lost the Savior, who endured the cross and died for me, could then all the world afford a refuge whither in my anguish I might flee? Oh, what emptiness without the Savior mid the sins and sorrows here below, and eternity how dark without him, only night and tears and endless woe. What? Though I might live without the Savior, when I come to die, how would it be? Oh, to face the valley's gloom without him, and without him all eternity. Oh, the joy of having all in Jesus. What a balm the broken heart to heal. Never a sin so great, but he'll forgive it. Nor a sorrow that he does not feel. If I have but Jesus, only Jesus, nothing else in all the world beside, oh, then everything is mine in Jesus. For my needs and more, he will provide. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that uh, this world does offer us temptation. Lord, day by day we come... uh, forward with this choice, Lord, of whether we would choose to please you or whether we would please ourselves. Lord, we know that eternal life and eternal joy are ours when we choose you. Lord, if there's anybody here who has not yet chosen you and the joy that you alone can bring, we pray that they will choose that. In Jesus' name, amen.